Hey, um, we're starting our series on stuff. Who's got one of the, the blue things that you get when you come in? Flyers, that's what they're called. Words are my thing. Um, yeah, yeah, who's, who's got one of them? Wave it at me. That's right, if you don't, you might have already got one. But you would have seen, right? We, we've been handing out these uh, flyers for the last uh, week, maybe two weeks now. And you would have got it, and we just seen on the top, it says, a series on stuff. Who read that and, and went, Right, like I mean, usually we have like a, the, the the title's a little bit more specific, right? Like, God, it's never been that. That's not that specific. It's quite a wide topic, right? But I'm trying to think of our last one, real, right? For real, right? A little bit more. You're like, okay, they're going to talk about real stuff. A series on stuff. You might have been like, what what's that going to be about? That's a scapegoat. They could literally talk about anything. I could come in and Jono could talk about how to fix a lawnmower for 30 minutes, and technically that he'd be talking about stuff, right? Who knows? I could not speak on fixing a lawnmower for more than 30 seconds. Right, my my thirty seconds on fixing a lawnmower would be don't ask me, ask someone like Pete or Jude. That would be me, right? But like, yeah, that's me. Done. I know there's something to do with oil and petrol, and sometimes you have to mix them, sometimes you don't. Who knows? Um, who, when they mow their lawns, just leaves the catcher off because you're lazy? Just me. All right. No, it's uh, for the the good of the grass. <laughs> who knows? In life, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Who knows that in, in life we're surrounded by things. We're surrounded by people. And, and, and there can be good stuff in life and there can be bad stuff in life. But the problem in, in life isn't so often the stuff. It's the place that we put it in or the thing that we let it be. See, I don't know about you, but often when I look at my life, when there's some pain in my life, when there's some discomfort in my life, I'll realize that there's something there, some sort of stuff there that I didn't necessarily want there. That something's become too important to me and is now letting me down, or, or something has, has taken a place where it, it gives me value and it never should have, or, or maybe that, that stuff is just crowding me out and God's been pushed back a bit. See, what I'd like to do in this, this series on stuff is look at what is it that's in our life? What defines us? What informs who we are? What stuff do we have? What stuff have we let into our heart? What do we maybe need to, to reposition? And where is God in relation to all of that? Is God just stuff to us? Is God just another thing? Is He one of the possessions that we accumulate along the, the, the course of our life that we, we put on the shelf when we say, and that's where I put my God. He's great. He helps me out sometimes. Right, or is it something more than that? So, so uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'd, I'd like to look at this series on stuff. And, and this morning, what I'd like to do is, is start with an encounter that Jesus had, right? And, and, and all of these, hopefully, I'm, I'm going to try and look at just an encounter that Jesus had with different people. And each of those people had some stuff going on in their life, right? Because who likes stories? My favorite thing about the Bible is stories, right? So I figured I'm preaching a bit. I'll preach the way that I like preaching, which is stories, right? Hopefully you're okay with that. It's all right. We've got some other people preaching. I'm sure they won't tell all stories. I'll tell lots of stories though. So what I want to do today is turn with me to John chapter four, and we're going to look at Jesus meeting what, what I think is the first ever desperate housewife, right? Who's seen Desperate Housewives of Auckland? Good. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, no, I, haven't. I don't even know what that's called, right? But um, we, we as a society, we've got an obsession of, of people, right? People in of glorifying them, people in of, of where they should be, where our lives should be. And, and this lady, she's in a little bit of that predicament. So turn with me uh, to John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the message translation. You can read from whichever translation you like. We will throw it up on the screen. 
Look at that. Amazing. It says uh, this. We'll be reading down to verse 30, so I'm going to take a drink of water. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ready? Do it like Laura did it. She did it. Cool. Go, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Nice. John chapter 4, verse 1 to 30. It goes like this. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John, that's John the Baptist, performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and his livestock and passed it down to us. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within gushing fountains of endless life. A woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. Jesus said, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. So you spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet? Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, right? Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are, the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when He arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am He, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then His disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe that He was talking to that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew all of the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think that this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for the, um, yeah, just for the honor and the, 
the privilege it is to, to get together together as church, God. God, we know that, that not everyone around the world gets to, to meet so openly and so publicly, and, and we're grateful for, for this uh, opportunity. But God, we pray that we wouldn't miss what you're wanting to do in our midst, God. That that coming here wasn't so easy that it can just be a thing that we do, a, a checklist on the Sunday to-do list. That, that, that we would meet with you, that we would know that you are here and you, you want to talk to us, God. You want to give us a word for where we are now. You want to encourage us or you want to motivate us, that you want to bring healing, that you, you want to meet with us here this morning, God. God, wherever we're at, whatever we've walked in with, however our weeks have been, I pray that, that we would just put all of that aside for the next 20 minutes and, and lean in to hear what it is that you're saying to us. God, that we would leave different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's heard this scripture before? Yeah, it's a pretty popular scripture, right? You're like, I know what he's going to say. Just don't, don't turn it off just yet. Right, gr growing up, uh, I was really into like running around. Anyone else like a kind of outdoorsy kid? Yeah, that's, this is your chance to write like a Facebook status, bemoaning the, the kids of today. Ah, screens. When I was a kid, I scrubbed my knee and stuff, right? But I, I was an outdoorsy kid. We, we grew up in Paraparaumu, so, you know, we didn't get internet or electricity or like cars with wheels. We just had like rats that we beat at the, at the local tip. I didn't do that, actually. Pastor Jordan did. We grew up in Paraparaumu. That explains a lot, right? But um, that's why I always wear shoes or else you'll see my sixth toe. Uh, anyway, right, I grew up in Paraparumu, and I really liked um, just, just running around. Like, we had this big swamp out the back of my house, and we'd always be running around there. I, I loved climbing trees. I, I loved playing tag at school, especially if it was kiss tag. I loved, uh, yeah, whoop, whoop, five-year-olds. That gets inappropriate at a certain age, just heads up. Um, but, you know, I, I loved that. I loved, we used to play rugby. Then we got too tired playing rugby. You'd climb the tree, and you'd commentate the rugby, and you'd say mean things. People try and climb the tree and get you, but they couldn't climb the tree and get you because you're up the top of the tree. But what I didn't like was team sports, right? And it wasn't that I'm a selfish person. I was and maybe am, but that wasn't the reason that I didn't like team sports. I liked playing with my teammates. I loved that, that moment that you'd pass the ball and, you know, they'd get a try or they'd kick the goal and you'd feel like you're a part of that. What I didn't like was the coach. Has anyone here ever coached a, a kid's sports team? right? You were doing God's work, right? I, I, can't, I can't imagine what it would be like because what happens is you get kids who are like me, independent, right? So you tell them, hey, you know, we need to practice what we're doing or this is the actual game, so maybe listen to me. Don't go make a daisy chain, play the game, right? So, but I'd be independent. I'd be like, no, you can't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. But at the same time, I was this interesting combination of independent and sensitive, Right, so, so I wouldn't listen to the coach when the coach told me what to do. But when the coach got frustrated with that and told me off, I would cry. Right, so this poor coach, I can't imagine what it was like. It would be like, Jonathan, Jonathan, go over there. Jonathan, Jonathan, pass the ball. Jonathan, go over there. Jonathan, you're, you're playing on the wrong field. Jonathan, Jonathan! <laughs> Why do you hate me? Right, it would have been hard, right? Everyone's like, yeah, no, it's still, it's still hard, Jono. It's still really hard. Right, but for, for some reason, I just didn't click with the coach. I think part of it might have been this, what I felt was a, a assumed familiarity, right? That I was like, man, I just met you, and, and, and you're, you're acting like you're my dad, right? You're acting like, like we're best mates, and like you can tell me what to do. And, and, and I don't feel that when you tell me off, it comes from a place of love. I just feel like you're just telling me off, right? I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes in life, I can kind of treat God like a coach, 
Right? Sometimes in life, I can kind of feel like, like maybe God is, is only motivated by my role here on earth, right? Like, like maybe I'm like, God, you know, I know you want me to tell my friends about Jesus. I know you want me to, to do this and to do that. But, but, you know, do you care about how I feel, God? Or am I just a, a role player on your team? See, here's the thing. This morning, what I want to look at is, is this good news, right? God's not your coach. God's your friend. That there, I just need to, to, I don't just need to play my part. That it's not just about me putting my head down and, and doing my work, about walking and talking just the way that he says with, without crying, but that, that God would rather I cry on his shoulder than run layups. Right? That, that God is actually here first and foremost for relationship. That, that life isn't about purpose or destiny as, as much as it is about having a relationship with God. See, this morning, I want you to know that God's primary concern is that you know him and that he knows you. So I don't know what your life's like. I don't know what your week's been like. But this morning, if you've come in here and you're feeling low, you can cry on God's shoulder. You can pour yourself out to him. You can let it all out because God wants to know you. See, because here's the thing. God is a fulfiller. He's the fulfillment of the human soul. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in life. But God's here to make sure that we know that it's just that. It's stuff. See, if you only remember one thing from this morning as we start the series on stuff, know this. In life, it's not the stuff that matters, good or bad. It's relationship with God. See, sure, God wants to help you, right? Sure, God wants you to progress. He wants you to step into everything he's got for you, but he wants to know you relationally first and foremost. This is why God sent himself as Jesus, right? To have relationship with us. We need to understand that God's primary passion for humanity is he wants you to know him. So now let's think about this story, right? Here we have this, this story and this Bible, and, and let's think about it, first of all, as it relates to, to Scripture, right? We, we read the story of, of effectively what's the first desperate housewife. But to really understand it, we have to gain an, an ancient mindset. We have to understand what's going on in this context. We have to understand what it would mean to, to have lived in Samaria at this time, right? The, the, in this culture, the Jewish people didn't go to Samaria, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. They, they viewed them as rejects, which makes it interesting that Jesus, the Messiah to the Jews, would go through Samaria. See, know this, that, that if you were a Jewish person traveling at the time, you would take the long way and go around Samaria. You wouldn't cut through Samaria. You would go out of your way to, to avoid it, and yet Jesus went directly through it. And so here he is, it's, it's high noon when Jesus was in Samaria and he sits down by the well. And, and as we know, right, a, a well is a source of water and, and water is the one basic necessity that, that pretty much everything needs for life. See, all of this is intentional. And, and at noon, no one is there, right, because it's the blazing heat of the Middle East. No one went to the well at midday. It was too hot. It was too much work. You'd, you'd get exhausted walking there. You'd fill your buckets, and you'd get even more exhausted walking back to the house. You'd arrive at your house. You'd drink all the water you just got because you were so exhausted from walking to the well. Right? Everyone went in the early morning or, or, or the early evening when the sun had died off a little bit, when it was a little bit more pleasant to go there. But this woman, she comes at noon. And she comes at noon, as, as you've probably heard before, because she probably doesn't want to be seen. 
She's avoiding people. She's a reject. She's been divorced five times, and now she's living with a boyfriend, right, which is something that was highly frowned upon in this culture. She's, she's probably been rejected. She's a shame and disgrace to her family. She probably has no real friends who'd, who'd want to openly associate with her, right? In terms of the, the, the social totem pole of this, this culture, she's down the bottom, right? She's of the worst people. She's the worst one. Of the whole village, everyone would say to themselves, at least I'm not her. Things might be going bad. I might have embarrassed myself. Man, I, I tripped up the other day going to synagogue, but at least I'm not her. Right? This is the type of lady this is. And, and I, I heard an interesting different take on this recently, right? Because often we read this and we think that this woman was wrong, right? That, that she was immoral, that she's an example of what we shouldn't be, right? That she's this depiction of, of humanity's brokenness, just nicely packaged up for Jesus to meet and show how he interacts with brokenness, which is true. But in doing that, we go on, oh, here's this lady, and she's wrong, and she's immoral, and, and so we should just frown on her, right? We, we can be like the Samaritans. We can be like, well, at least we're not her. But here's the thing. In, in that culture, as, as a woman, you couldn't actually choose to get divorced, right? Which would mean that, that this woman, although she's been divorced five times, it wasn't necessarily ever her choice to be divorced, in fact, this woman is more likely to have been someone who's just been used and abused, who's just been taken in, who's been deceived by men over and over again, who's been tricked and then thrown away, who's, who's been, that, that she's the least of the least, but not through potentially any failing of her own, but because life has just beaten on her relentlessly. See, here she is, and, and this woman in this culture, she could only be divorced at her husband's will. So it's possible that she was in this situation not necessarily because of her immorality, but she's here as a, a victim of the culture that she lives in. But however she ended up here, she's broken. However she ended up here, she's, she's needing something. She's just getting by. I don't imagine her life was anything to look forward to. So here's Jesus. Right? And, and, and Jewish people did not relate to Samaritans. And they certainly didn't relate to Samaritan women. Right? So, so understand that this woman that Jesus talked with was rejected by even the woman of Samaria. She's the, the lowest of the low. She's, she's been cast out. So no doubt when she shows up at the well, she's upset to see a Jewish man there. She's like, great, thought I could get water. Now I'm going to have to wait for him to get water, pretend I can't see him, hide over here. Then I'll get my water or else he'll get angry at me and be like, hey, you're a Samaritan woman. You suck because I'm a Jewish man. Right, so there she is, she's, she's hiding and, and she wants to be alone, but the Jewish stranger asks her for a drink, right? And this would have taken her off guard. In fact, we know that it did. In verse 9, she says to Jesus, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Like, do you not understand the social norms at play here? You should not be doing this. You should not, why are you talking to me? Right, but we know this. We've read this story a hundred times. We think Jesus is wonderful as we read this. We know that he'll bring grace and hope, that, that he's going to change this lady's life. But if you're the Samaritan woman at the well, you just think that he was weird. Right, we know what he's going to do. We've read it before. For her, this is happening in real time. It's her life. She hasn't read it in the Bible. She's not like, oh, no, I remember when I read this in John chapter 4. I know what's going to happen now. You're, you're going to be nice to me, right? She's just like, why are you talking to me? Because then he says to her, I'll give you living water. You'll never thirst again. Living water, right? Let's, let's be honest. As a metaphor, it's a little bit out there. It's a little bit weird. 
I don't know if you've ever spoken and talked to someone about living water before, unless you were inviting them to church. Come to church, find the living water. Outside of that, it's not really like a used metaphor. And so, so, so here he is. He's talking to her about, so, so she just does the, the safe thing. She's just like, look, let's talk practicalities. You don't have a bucket. What are you talking about? Right, that's the, the, the safe, the, 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 you know, nice way of just being like, look, man, I think maybe you've been walking in the sun too long. Maybe you shouldn't have come at noon because you seem to have lost your marbles. You're talking about living water. You don't even have a bucket. John chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst, not ever. The water I give them will be an artisan spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Let's be honest, right? It got wetter again. He's like, living water. She's like, all right, you don't have a bucket. He's like, no, no, I'll make it so that you have water coming from within you. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to go back to my boyfriend, right? You're weird. You're going to push me in the well. Something's going to happen. I'm going to end up on the, the milk carton. It's just, right? And then Jesus, then the woman says, says to him, right? She's like, all right, let's go with this. So give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again, right? So, so, that, so that I won't have to keep on coming back here to draw water, right? She's like, let's just play along with this or else he's, he's going to be a crazy axe murderer. All right, fine. And then Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. Which is an interesting leap in the conversation, right? From water to husband. I don't know if you've ever walked up to someone, you know, maybe at the break room at, a, at the office and you're having a cup of coffee. You're like, good coffee, yeah? Yeah, great coffee. So tell me about your marital status. It's not, not like a general kind of conversation, maybe for you a little bit, but, but here in this culture, not, not at all. It's, it's, it's far from the, the normal conversation they should be having. But the thing is, this conversation was centered around water and thirst, but, but she thought it was water, water, but it's not physical water and thirst. Jesus is speaking to a more profound thirst. Jesus is speaking to a thirst of, of the soul. He's saying that you'll never be internally thirsty again. Jesus asked her to call her husband because she'd been trying to quench her soul thirst through marriage, through, through relationship. Jesus in this one statement was hitting on the major issue in this woman's life. And she tries to divert, right? We all do this. I do this all the time. Whenever anyone hits me up on anything, my natural inclination is, is to divert the conversation. The woman is like, well, you must know about my marital stuff. You must know that I've been married five times and now I'm living with my boyfriend because you're a prophet. Right, God must have told you. Well then, if you're a prophet, I've got a question for you. Right, well, Mr. Prophet, rather than talking about the things that make me uncomfortable, here's a deep theological question for you. Let's have an argument. She says to him, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, well tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews worship God at Jerusalem in the temple. See, so see, we can see this as splitting hairs, right? that she's just saying something to, to distract Jesus from, from the task at hand. But you have to understand how, how important mountains were to the people of that time. Right? Men climbed mountains to meet with God. There are four mountains that are key in Jewish history. There's Mount Moriah, Mount Sinai, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Abal. And this woman, she's referring to Mount Gerizim and Mount Abal. They're, they're the center of this woman's question. See, Mount Gerizim was the mountain that the Samaritans said God told them to worship on. They're like, this is the mountain God said is holy. We go up this mountain, we see God. 
the Jewish people said that Mount Abal was the mountain that God had told them to worship on. They said, no, that mountain's stupid. This mountain, this is where we meet with God. If you go up that mountain, you're crazy. This is the real mountain. And then the Jewish people took it a step further. They were like, right, now God's not on that mountain anymore. Now he's in the temple. God's in the temple. Samaritans, not allowed in our city. You're not getting to the temple. You can't see God, right? Tough. So here this woman is, and she's really asking, all right, so so you're obviously a man of God. Obviously something's going on here. You're hitting me up about my mistakes. So how do I find God then? Maybe this woman's saying, every time I've tried, I've been told I'm not good enough. Every time I try and go up our mountain, I try and go up Mount Gerizim, every time I try and go up that, I'm told I'm a Samaritan woman. But not only that, I'm a Samaritan woman married five times, now living with a man who's not my husband. I don't get to see God. Right, so then I go to your mountain. I climb up Mount Abal. I'm told, first of all, I'm not allowed up it. Then I maybe get up it and you tell me, no, God's not here anymore. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. So then I go to your holy city, Jerusalem. I ask to go into the temple and they say, who do you think you are? You're a Samaritan woman. You can't see God. You don't fit in. See, maybe this woman is here and she's saying, all right, you're telling me about my mistakes. Well, what am I meant to do when I can't meet with God? How am I meant to find love when I can't find God? I have to let someone into that hole in my heart. I have to find something that makes me realize that I'm worth something. Something has to take the hurt off. If I'm not meant to find God, if I can't find God because I'm not good enough or I'm I'm too Samaritan or I'm too much of a woman or I've made these mistakes, where am I meant to go? What am I meant to do? Right, see, the very thing that, that had betrayed her trust, she's saying, look, I can't do this. And Jesus tells her, go and get your husband, which can seem like an insult. It can seem like he's, he's rubbing her face in her mistakes, but, but maybe he's pointing her to the fact that she was to come in the midst of her brokenness. Maybe Jesus is, is saying, look, no, you don't understand. Things are different. You can bring your mistakes. I want to give you living water. I want to quench the thirst of your soul. And you can bring your mistakes and you'll still get quenched. You can bring the things that you feel that you've done wrong, and I will still meet with you. See, Jesus is about to address this question the lady is asking of where do I meet with God if no one will let me in in an amazing way, right? He says in in verse 21, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem, which is weird, right? Every Jewish rabbi is saying, go worship at the temple. If they're not saying the temple, they're saying worship at the synagogue, right? God is in one of those two places. The temple collective or the synagogue we're splitting out we're worshiping God in our little families but we're doing it together with a priest God Jesus is saying the time is coming when you Samaritans won't worship in either place he's she's confused Jesus goes on in verse 22 to 23 you worship guessing in the dark we Jews worship in the clear light of day God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews Jesus is establishing what she knows that she's not in She's not in the in crowd, that salvation is for the Jews and that she is not Jewish, that according to the rules, she doesn't make it. But this is when Jesus says everything is about to change. He says this, but the time is coming. In fact, it has come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. That, that's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. And in other translations, it says seeks. 
right? That the mountains represented thousands of years of man seeking God, of man trying to figure out where God was, why God was angry, what they needed to do to appease God, how they could find God and get into his good graces, how they could convince God to love them for a moment. And, and here Jesus is saying that it's not about the mountains anymore. He's saying that you can worship God just as you are, but in fact, God is out looking for you, that God is seeking that type of worshiper, that it's not the person who can climb the mountain, that it's not the person who can tick the religious boxes, that it's not the person who can behave in the right way, but that God is looking for a worshiper who just earnestly, truthfully seeks after God. See, if he'd said this in the temple, there would have been a revolt. If he'd said this in a synagogue, the people would have risen up angry about what he had said. They, they, they would have said, this is, you can't say this. This goes against the rules. You don't get to find God like this. You have to be good enough. You have to follow the rules. You have to be of the right breeding, of the right birth, of the right race, of the right creed, doing the right things. And then maybe the high priest will go on your behalf. You don't just get to be earnest in your heart and God comes and meets you. See, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, it says this. Unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. All that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking messages terrified them and they begged God to stop. When they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead, they were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. Moses, the most holy man in Jewish history. Moses, the one who everyone said, if only we could be like him. No, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion. This isn't a mountain we've heard of before. The city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It's the city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh character from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, becomes a proclamation of grace. So here's the thing. It's not about mountains anymore. That this mountain, Mount Zion, that the writer of Hebrews refers to, is the fifth mountain. And, and in biblical numerology, which I'm not going to get into because it's a thing, but, but five represents the number of grace. See, here's a different thing about this mountain that they're talking about, that, that Jesus is alluding to in this conversation with this woman. This mountain comes to you. This mountain comes to seek and save that which is lost. The fifth mountain represents God out looking for you. See, this mountain doesn't require a certain approach. This, this mountain isn't for, for those who, who need to behave in a certain way. This mountain is those who seek and worship as they are. It's not about going to a mountain anymore to find God. It's, it's about Jesus having fulfilled the laws, about having fulfilled its, its demands. And Jesus says that he is what you're looking for, that Jesus has made himself available to you, that Jesus is here to fill the space we try and make okay with stuff. Just as the band comes up, consider who, who Jesus decides to say this to. Right, quite possibly the, the lowest person on the, the totem pole of this ancient landscape, a, a Samaritan and a woman. Probably the, the worst person to be in the social structure of the New Testament. Right, do we think that it's an accident that God expresses his desire for relationship 
through this vehicle of a person who is the worst at relationships in the New Testament. Right, who probably thought that she could be never loved for her. That she would always have to bring something to the table. That she would always have to convince people to love her. That she'd always have to go out of her way to, to somehow find a way to be valued by someone. And here Jesus is saying, you can be loved for you. So this morning, how bad has your search gone? If you're honest with yourself, how bad is it? How far have you gone in life in this search for satisfaction and for fulfillment? See, this morning, no matter how bad it's gone, Jesus, Mount Zion, has come to you. Right? God has come down from heaven and made himself available to everyone. And in ancient times, there were heroes like Abraham and, and Moses and Joshua who got to see God, but, but not troubled people, not people like you and me. Not, not broken people, not people who'd made mistakes, not people who are still making mistakes, not people who, who are messed up, not people who, who feel like they're not good enough, not people who haven't done the right things or ticked the right boxes or been born in the right place at the right time. They don't get to meet God, just the heroes, just the lucky ones. But Jesus is saying now all can see it that now it's available for, for everyone to see God, to see Jesus amongst us, that, that Mount Zion has come to us, that Jesus at the well, He's showing His desire for relationship. And so there He is, He's telling the woman, everything has changed, everything is different. But, but the woman, as, as, as she's leaning in, as she's engaging with Him, as her life is about to be changed, the 12 disciples come back and they see what's going on and they don't understand it. They see what's going on and they're confused by it. It says that they didn't say anything, but their faces made it plain enough what they thought. And this woman, she's scared off. But still, something had changed within her just from that conversation with Jesus that she went and she started to tell others, come and see a man who knew all of the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think that this could be the Messiah? The Bible tells us that many people came to see God. Many people came to see Jesus and that this woman who is, who is a, now a vehicle by which God would use to bring salvation to more of the people who would never meet God, the Samaritans, the unworthy, that this woman who was the least of the least in her culture of the least would be the one who led her culture to meet with Jesus. See, this was unthinkable at the time. There is no way the disciples saw it coming. It says in John chapter 4, verse 39 to 42, many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all of the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed for two more days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the savior of the world. See, many people believed that day. And Jesus stayed to be with the people. See, Jesus didn't just go into Samaria. Jesus went into Samaria, met with the lowest Samaritan, and then stayed there for two days. See, as, as we start this series on stuff, I don't know what your life's like. I don't know what your priorities are. I don't know if you, if you took a checklist of things in your life that matter to you, where Jesus sat on it. And to be honest, at this very moment, it, I'm, I'm not worried. Jesus could be number 10 for you. Jesus could be not on the list. But here's the thing. In life, there is stuff. And stuff gets on our list. 
stuff becomes priority. Work, family, relationships, good stuff, bad stuff too. How we look to other people. Our self-worth based on the things that we have. No matter what it is, stuff is on our list. But this morning, Jesus is seeking worshipers. And what that means is that you can be yourself with God. See, most of us spend our lives trying to not be ourselves. Because who we are is, is not enough. And so we feel that we have to put on extra. Right? And, and, and so often, right here in church is, is, is where people put their game face on. I'm going to come to church and pretend I'm okay. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to pretend I've got it all together. I'm going to smile and I'm going to nod and, and I'm going to pretend that, that I'm not a Samaritan woman, I'm a Jewish rabbi, that I've got it covered, that I'm fine, that I can meet Jesus on my own, that I can meet God on my own, that, that I, I tick the boxes. See, here's the thing in reality, this should be one of the primary places in the world that we can come as ourselves, that we can come in being like, man, this week I'm a Samaritan woman. This week I messed up. Or this week, nothing happened, but I just feel like I'm not worth a dime. And I don't know why. See, that we could come in here being ourselves because it's a new day. We get to be ourselves before God. God knows our faults. God knows our shortcomings. God knows our weaknesses. And in exchange, we'll find what we're finally looking for. If we can come in as a Samaritan woman, if we can come in for this next series on stuff, acknowledging the fact that there is stuff in our life and some of it is in maybe the wrong place, but it's all over it, that we're covered in stuff that, that gets in the way of us meeting with Jesus. If we acknowledge that, then maybe by the end of the series on stuff, we can stand here being like, actually, I think I'm a little bit better than when we started. Actually, I came in feeling hurt and disappointed. I came in feeling worth less than that I knew that I should feel. I came in feeling like I was determined by these things. And I leave knowing that Jesus determines my value. That I came in thinking that I was this, but I leave knowing that I am this. That the world might have said that I will only amount to this much, but I found out that God says that I amount to more. See, if we remember nothing else, if we find nothing else in the series, we need to know that God is the fulfiller, that God is the fulfillment of our longing, that there is a whole lot of stuff going on in our life. But it's not the stuff that matters, good or bad. It's a relationship with God. So I wanna urge you to come along for this next month. Join us as we, as we look at what we put in the wrong place the good things that we make the ultimate thing, the bad things that have crept away in, but, but understand that at the center of it all, at the center of this church, is an overwhelming conviction that it's all about God. That we're not here to get the stuff in the right place to, to sort out a cosmic checklist. That you're not here to earn love. That you're not here to be good enough. You're here to be the Samaritan woman at the well, just like me, broken, unable to please society's standards. And Jesus wants to meet with you and quench that thirst within. And to be honest, it doesn't matter how you are broken. It doesn't matter if we were the immoral Samaritan woman who married so many men just to, to suit her own needs, or if you're the Samaritan woman who's been tossed around by life, broken unfairly. 
However it happened, it happened. And I'm sorry if it happened in a way that hurt you. But the, 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 the necessary thing is to know that Jesus wants to heal the brokenness. That Jesus wants to come to us at the well and say, I can fix the problem that you have. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to do just two things as we finish. The first thing I want to do is I just want to pray a prayer for us. I just want to pray a prayer for us that we would be good at relationship. Maybe not good, that we would be better at relationship than we currently are. Maybe at the moment you're hiding from God because you think He's going to tell you off. You come to church as, as a way of hopefully appeasing your religious obligations and maybe then God won't be on your case. That, that you would realize that God loves you with everything you are currently doing wrong. Maybe you come and you know God, but, but if you're honest, it's, it's become a, a ho-hum relationship. It's more of a religious exercise than it is a, a real, loving, true, vibrant, alive relationship. Maybe you're here and you know God and, and everything's fine for you. You know that relationship is true and real, but there are people in your life that, that need that, that relationship that you're just not passing on to quite yet. Whoever it is, however you are, I know that all of us have somewhere that we could move to in our relationship with God. So God, as we're here this morning, I pray for us that we would be a people who know you, but that we wouldn't just know you from afar, that you wouldn't be a, a figure on a wall, that you wouldn't be some religious symbol, that you wouldn't be the, the big man upstairs who, who we say a prayer to when we're in traffic, but that's about it, but that we would know you intimately. God, I pray that if we're here and we're afraid of relationship with you, that others have heard us, we feel like we've been let down by church or something's just in the way. God, help us to start chipping away at those walls. Help us to give you a chance to let you into our hearts again. God, let us as a church be known for our relationship with you. That people would say, Equippers Church Wellington, that's the church where they know God. That's the church where you can see God in them. They're broken and they're messy at times, but you know that God's love is through them. 